Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point Process online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. Okay, friends, welcome back to The Boiling Point and we are still on our incredible partnership uh, series called Shifting the Employee Experience with Dr. Bill and Dave. And uh, I'm Greg Hemmings, and I'm sitting behind the mixing board these days, having a great time listening to these awesome conversations. It's great to be on both sides of the mic, actually. So we want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, University of New Brunswick, as well as Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So a warm round of applause for our hosts, Dr. Bill and Dave Vale. Guys, how are you doing? Awesome, Good. Greg. Thank you. Good, thank you. Good. I'm, uh, I'm going to hop off. But I, I'm going to be listening to this conversation uh, with Bill. I am very excited to hear what you guys have on the go. Talk okay. Well, we, this, thank you, Greg. And uh, Bill, obviously, we're, as people will know, you're, you're in Ottawa. I'm in New Brunswick. We've got a New Brunswick guest on here. So we're, we're Atlanta, Canada proud. Um, yes. we, uh, we're going to introduce our guest in a moment. Um, but what a, the article that we, you know, we, we, we typically review an article and, and then bring our guest in to, to go a little bit deeper. Um, it's, it's quite interesting. And you, you sent it across to me, a critical element to a positive work experience. And, and what, you, what I was reading and, and what I've been learning over the last number of months with you, um, and the article opens up as employers are beginning to focus on psychological safety as a critical element for facilitating a positive employee experience. Um, can you shed some more light on that, Bill? Absolutely. Thanks, David. And um, so nice to be here again with you. My thinking on this has started over the last couple of probably years. And one of the things I'm starting to realize is that when I predominantly, as you know, I do a lot of work with organizations around started with mental health, for example, mental health strategies. And and when the standard came out in uh, 2013, lots of folks like myself were trying to help organizations implement the standard. And what I think what happened was, is that we ended up really hyper focusing on folks in the workplace with a mental illness. So we would train managers and duty to accommodate and duty to inquire and how they can support people. And then we spent time on making sure there was good EAP programs in place and and we were doing that. And then all of a sudden, as we started to evolve in this conversation, we started to realize that psychological safety is starting to become a bigger conversation. And it's not just around 
harassment. It's just not around bullying in the workplace or mobbing, which is becoming a challenge in the workplaces. It's, it's starting to really actually look at the employee's experience. And so I started to think to myself, so, okay, is it really a mental health strategy, really what we need to be doing to create a psychological safe workplace? Is a psychological safe workplace, perhaps it involves more around the employee experience. Like, in other words, every interaction that they have with their peers could be a positive or negative. Every interaction they have with their manager could be a positive or negative. And what I'm starting to realize, and there's lots of different things that we can do, and I spend a lot of time, as you know, working with organizations around helping their employees, you know, be proactive and support their mental health. And, and, and the more I'm thinking about it too, is that, you know, mental health is impacted really in the workplace as a two-way accountability. There's things that the employer can do that can facilitate, and there's things that the individual employee can do. And what, I, what I'm interested in is what, kind of different levers are there there's not a god in the box there's not one thing that's going to solve all the problems in canada especially when you look at the world economic forum says in 2030 that mental health could be the number one cause of premature death on the planet and you start to realize now in the pandemic and i was on the call yesterday with the ceo of the mental health commission of canada working in the strategy uh, i'm on the call today with all the folks the senior folks from uh, ottawa working on the federal government strategy working with the chief prevention officers, uh, CEO of work, WSPS, as you know, working on creating a strategy now, working with the, like, the amount of focus right now on preserving human beings and their psychological health and safety is going to be now a little bit different, David, because I think now with this conversation, I'm excited to hear our guest today with his background around teams and resiliency and what he's learning that can impact this is because now we have folks that are going to be at home. And they're going to be a different types of teams. There's going to be virtual teams and, and that social interaction. There's going to be more variables around this. And then the other question is the uncertainty for how long this process could be. Mm-hmm. So you and I are sitting here. Where I, I just did a video blog today for the Conference Board of Canada. And one of the things that's amazing, I just sit here and go, okay, I've been, I've been in social isolation in Ottawa for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to realize, you know, I'm talking to people and go, wow. This could be 12 weeks or 16 weeks. And the distancing, it's really physical distancing. And luckily, I have a couple of really good close friends up here that we're all social isolating. We've made decisions that we're going to, you know, we'll see each other. And so we have some connectivity, right? But I, I, I'm just fascinated with, David, that organizations now are starting to get into this conversation. And, and the purpose of my article is just to start opening it up and I just wanted to I thought it would be kind of a natural bridge for our guests to kind of jump in because I'm sure that they with all their expertise have some ideas around this conversation as well 100% yeah yeah it's and it's it's just so timely now given kind of the the current condition COVID-19 obviously is we're in the midst of it and um, and as people are listening to this they'll they'll be still involved in and dealing with it and, and everything goes along. So I'm going to bring in our guest. Um, so we got, so this is, has never happened. I got two Dr. Bills, um, I've, the doctor, obviously Bill Howitt, and then Dr. Bill Morrison. Um, and, uh, and, and Dr. Bill M, I'm going to get you to jump in here and introduce yourself if you may. Sure. Uh, really nice to be with you here today. And, um, do you know what I'm wondering? I'm these earphones. I'm I'm getting some feedback, so I'm going to take them out. Okay. No problem. No problem. Okay. Sounds good. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. So um, I think you can still hear me here, but we'll uh, continue on. Um, yeah, my name is, uh, is Bill Morrison. Uh, I'm a psychologist uh, and uh, academic at the University of Brunswick. Um, I'm in charge of educational psychology uh, with a colleague, uh, Dr. Patty Peterson. And um, we've been over the past, uh, gee, probably since 2006, have been looking at uh, positive psychology approaches for impacting uh, teams, environments, uh, creating, positive, uh, creating positive culture. Um, most important thing, I'm married with uh, some uh, children and I have three, uh, three granddaughters and I think a fourth on the way. So uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I'm in social isolation, but uh, I still got connectivity there with, uh, with uh, family and, and I'm passionate uh, about uh, creating well-being uh, as opposed to being reactive and uh, looking forward to today's uh, podcast. Great, great to uh, see Dave and Bill there. Great to see you as well. And uh, just, uh, and uh, Greg as well. So yeah, well, let's, let's, let's like, so, so you both um, are, you know, go very deep on this topic and, and, um, you know, about this idea of a healthy workplace and, and you shared an, uh, an article you wrote for the globe, both of you uh, are, have been published in the globe, uh, globe and mail. And um, what you shared with me, Bill, was three conditions to creating a healthy workplace. Do you want, can you share a little bit about, you know, what you've learned about your research? I really think the the introduction that Bill gave was absolutely excellent. I mean, he, for a long time, we've, we've, we've been, I won't say preoccupied, we've had a good focus of of providing the right supports to people with mental health related concerns in the workplace and equipping uh, leaders and managers and so on. And uh, having access to rate support is, is absolutely critical. And I think that's a dimension uh, of well-being within workplaces is that level of support at the right intensity based on, based on the need. The other dimension, and this really comes out of the, some of the early work of Corey Keyes, where, you, where there's a dual dimensional approach. And uh, the question is not just providing support, but what are the conditions? And even to dig further, what are the practices that create uh, a climate, a workplace culture that promotes uh, flourishing? And when I say promotes flourishing, well-being. In other words, I go to work and as I'm there, uh, whether I have an existing mental health related concern or not, universally, uh, because I'm there, I actually, um, I'm more engaged. I have a greater sense of well-being. Uh, and uh, if we can get a handle on some of those practices, on, on those particular, how we create those conditions in the workplace, then we're in the business not only of doing business, but also creating a, a team, uh, a workforce that is engaged and performing well as a team uh, because there is a strong sense of well-being uh, being created by our practices. So to me, demystifying uh, some of those key things are, are critical. In the article, I talked about three psychological well-being needs, and, and these are really akin to psychological safety. Um, Psychological safety means that when I'm in that environment, it's not just a sense of feeling safe and at ease and comfortable, but it also is pulling me forward. Uh, It's also creating a positive emotion. It's, 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 I'm gaining from this environment. Sometimes environments draw from us, they take from us. Sometimes we go into environments that actually give us energy, vitality. And this is what we mean by, by flourishing. So some of those practices. Um, DC and Ryan, who are kind of well-known in the area, I wrote the article on, which can be shared uh, post, talks about uh, three key practices or three key need areas, relatedness, mm-hmm. having a sense of connection, um, you know, being welcomed, inclusivity, uh, competency, being valued, you know, uh, 
being valued. In other words, people say thank you to one another. I appreciate your efforts. So there's a sense of recognition of our strengths that work together. And then of course, autonomy support. And, and, and that is not anarchy. That's not having your own way, but that is, that is hearing others. And it means that as we work in a team, there are shared values, there are shared goals, there are shared directions together. And when those three are working together uh, in the workplace, when we understand those practices, trust builds. And when you trust, I feel safe. People have my back. Uh, in fact, I can take on new challenges and risks because I have a team that will go with me. And the possibility of regrouping is, is there as we move forward together. So I don't think those practices, which are really just good humanity, uh, they, they impact how we, uh, we interact with each other. I think they're critical to clarify, demystify for people. And, uh, and I'm going to build on the article. Um, thanks, Bill. That great article because it talked about collecting information. You know, sometimes we collect information on mental health, uh, which is, you know, we have some prevalence uh, things that we gather information on. Uh, but I think it's also important to gather information on the practices that promote the conditions that we want to have within the workplace. And then we get right down to detail. Sometimes we do workshops, we do programs, we do services, but we negate to collect information. If we want to change workplace culture, if we want to change the practices that go on between people that create those uh, sense of connections, that sense of value and, and voice, uh, then we need to really understand from employees' perspective, are those practices being used in the workplace? Uh, and then it gives us a picture of the environment and we can actually target those ones that need to be promoted or need to be embedded. When I say embedded, I mean, not just I'm aware, but these are, these are things that are intentionally carried out and they're, uh, uh, they're part of how we live and breathe as opposed to a program. They're a way of interacting uh, with one another. So I am uh, in these recent years, I mean, I come out of a, you know, counseling clinical psych background, right? I'm good at defining problems. Now I want to be good at identifying things that work and promoting practices that are proactive, that create environments that, um, that will ultimately contribute not just to um, well-being, engagement, but also the bottom line. I mean, teams that perform well together uh, and are productive. You, you, you um, and, and, and Bill Howe would, would uh, aggressively agree on this topic about evidence-based, uh, yeah. um, you know, making good decisions based on evidence. Uh, Bill Howe, what do you... What, you know, what, what are you learning as, um, you know, in this space? And, you, and it's so interesting to hear you both come from very similar backgrounds, but also recognize the importance of the bottom line in all this and, you know, being, being a good humanitarian, but, but there's, there's a practice and, and it's more than just being nice. It's, it's, it actually, it actually has some evidence that you can, you can flourish as a business. Yeah. I, I actually, it'd be interesting. I got a question for Bill, but I'll answer your question to me. Um, the thing that I'm finding fascinating is, is that how we conflate uh, informed-based evidence with evidence-based evidence. And, and for many organizations, what's happening with the informed-based approach is they go to a workshop and they meet somebody and they meet someone like Bill or I, and they're interested in what we have to say. And they, they're, they kind of, we can kind of get them excited and we say, ah, oh, we should, you know, well, let's do uh, do this idea or that idea. And we, and we both are very passionate about our work. The challenge with it, I find, is is that, you know, and I maybe won't use us because we probably have done some research, knowing Bill, uh, same as me, is that, but some things that are coming into organizations that people haven't actually tested before or have never measured 
because someone else is doing it. And it may be working somewhere else. But what I'm finding fascinating, David, is that, and Bill said something, and this is so true to me, is that you're not going to fix organizations. You're not going to have enough money to run enough programs to fix psychological health in Canada. Just not going to happen. It's going to be practices and it's going to be people, how they learn some micro skills and how they treat each other and things they can learn how to self-advocate and deal with their own mental health. So that the charging the batteries, a metaphor I always use as you know, but mm-hmm. to get to answer your question is, is that if, if we have all these things called human beings and they all are like, we're looking to them to flourish. And I, and I love keys research as well. And so if we're looking to try to get them flourish, meaning higher the charge of their battery, more, more they're probably going to be flourishing and be able to do, okay, we'll use that as an assumption. And, and what happens is, is their battery can be drained by things in their life, their experiences, or their own thinking, or their interactions with the workplace. And the workplace can help create conditions that can be, you know, if, you know, if, you're, if you have managers are yelling and screaming at employees and being rude, that's probably going to drain their batteries. Uh, there's things they can do to charge the batteries. But here's the point to answer the question, so I don't get confused in my own thinking here, is that when you start to bring programs and ideas to organizations that are informed because someone else said they work, the challenge is as more many organizations aren't getting a baseline of where they're at to start. And then what they do is we call in my world, and I'm sure Bill would call it similar, is we kind of get our baseline ground zero test one. And then we start adding programs, policies, and procedures, and we go over a bit of time, and then we remeasure. And we actually start trying to control for all those co-founded variables and start to be able to say, hey, these programs and using work from, you know, Kirkpatrick and Phillips start saying, you know, people are objectively saying that practice is contributing very much like when we do the ROI studies for us, David, and coaching. You mm-hmm. can't say coaching is doing all of it, mm-hmm. but you have the end user say that helped me X my mind that was that was contributing. And then you can start to really get moving your ideas from evident from informed into evidence based. Mm-hmm. And I'll close and then I want to ask Bill a question. Is that that's exactly what the chief prevention officer for the province of Ontario, they have over 300,000 organizations and, and we're doing a three year study with them. And one of the things that uh, uh, when I was sitting down, it, it kind of seems kind of nonsensical to me to just ask the question. So does anybody have any evidence of anything we're doing is working? Like, does any, <laughs> what was you the know, <laughs> and, 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 but people, well, you have lots of the insurance companies and lots of the other companies creating their own ROI studies. And I said, yeah, but has anybody actually gone out independently and looked at all the programs that we're doing, uh, you know, in Canada, mental health first aid, we've done 500,000, we've trained 500,000 people in mental health first aid. That's impressive. Is there any evidence is actually having a material impact? And what's happening is that's where I think we need to start to move, get the game to is moving on. And I, and I guess I would kind of ask you this question, Bill, is, is when you start to see organizations, I know around the evidence, and we're now in a time where all the social norms are, have changed and we're now looking at dynamics and, and you're probably phones ringing like mine. And when, when organizations say, okay, what do we do, Bill? What's three things you suggest we do 
that we can help our, our employees flourish because we have two workforces we have right now. And I think the audience will really care with what you're going to say in this one is we have essential workers who now have to go to work in a condition worrying about every day, the risk they potentially could get COVID-19 and, and then also the risk of bringing that home, which will be draining their batteries. And then you have the folks that are the non-essential or essential that are allowed to work remotely. And now they're in isolation with all that dynamic and the world's changed from our team dynamic. And, as we start to go through time, very much like what NASA would say, you know, people in isolation, we start to erode their mental health. And you and I are kind of, our jobs are trying to be, you know, we look, we're kind of half cup full guys all the time, or we try to get, keep people moving. What's your, what in this time, Bill? Mm, yeah. What I, do you think? Yeah. Gee, you, you, you've given a lot of different hooks I could jump onto. <laughs> but, uh, Just take a few really, and go. Really, really, really relevant. Um, the um, really interesting when you uh, I'll just make a couple of comments, then I'm going to move into the question. But sure, please, uh, you mentioned this about doing programs, and we I mean, we can count outputs. We did 300 training programs, right? Question is, how you know, it's an output, not an outcome. It's like mm. we can count them, but did it make a difference? And yeah, we check the box, we have no sense of that it's good. Uh, it's we do this in training all the time, but but what, what has been the impact? Um, I think it's critical importance that critically important that we do collect data at a baseline so we understand. And when you collect data, people are interested because here's a profile of the organization, and suddenly people's uh, you know people are then listening. This is our organization. It's personalized, so there's a motivation inherent in saying, "How did we do?" You know, we think of report cards, and I'm not going to use an example, but you know, <laughs> it's how are we doing? You know. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and I can take for for example, and and then you got to look at so. Do we have instruments that are validated? I mean, I think that's a that's a key thing. Um, one thing we've done is we've we've committed to peer you know peer reviewed publication, uh, looking at you know the constructs. What does literature tell us? And can we actually develop items? Uh, can we have something which is screening on a hundred questions, but something we can be done online? You know, that is quick, that is automated, turn back, and then we can do something with it. I mean, I can think of some of the public service across Canada, we've measured engagement, eh? And it's like, mm. then you get low engagement scores, say, okay, we got low engagement. What do we do with that? Like, how do we attack that? So we've been really focused on saying, if we can measure the practices that have an evidence base in the literature, if we can measure practices that contribute to well-being, and we ask every employee to be an observer, right? Mm. Tell me what you think of your current, whether you're online, virtual, uh, in the same place, essential worker kind of thing, uh, wherever you are, will you, will you identify the practices that are ongoing? So, I mean, we think right now in this time is a time when some people are isolated and some people are together with concern because of the health, uh, health situation that we have. And, um, and there's no doubt that that impacts mental health. The question is, are the things that produce hope and vitality, are they being used? Okay. Because we can, we get diverted in one area and we're overwhelmed and yet, are we going to really look at those practices? All the more important that practices that promote well-being and resiliency are being recognized and used. So we have a chance to have a snapshot. So with validated tools, um, and we've, we've kind of, I'll be honest with you, that's been kind of our gold standard. We just published in the International Journal of Business, the Mental Fitness Resilience Inventory for identifying, you know, with 32 items, a screening measure for identifying eight practice domains. There's probably much more than that. I mean, this is, 
there's all kinds of things, but this is one area which has some evidence. So if we can see those practices, we can create a well-being index for a business. And, uh, and the thing is, as opposed to doing a, a bunch of programs where you say, did we change anything? We still have low scores after our post because the outcomes, the profiles were not connected with what to do. When we measure, we need to be able to target specifically. So if you're going to measure practices and we see that we have practices which are not well developed in the workplace and these practices are critical for creating a, a positive mental health environment for, for, you know, psychological safety. Then if we find some of those are not developed, underused at an awareness level, then those are the ones that we can target specifically. So if we do an assessment baseline, let's, let's do those that actually are validated, but also that can target specific practices, interactional practices uh, that we can actually use and promote in the workplace. Um, I mean, simply when you walk into a place or you get a call from someone and you, you feel a sense of welcome, how you doing, you know, that check-in, that, that produces within us a sense of well-being and connectedness with people. I mean, and it's a very small thing, but the question is, does that happen within our workplaces? So being able to take a snapshot at a point in time, identifying what practices are well embedded and those that need to be more developed, and then to have resources targeted at those that help the organization. And I'm going to put out a plug here for coaching here, Dave, you know, with what you're doing, but where you can have some individual coaching based on a very specific profile. And then six months down the line, 12 months down the line, however it be, take another snapshot to say, have we made some movement in those practices? The nice thing about uh, practices, I think, that promote well-being is that when I say they're they're part of their their humanitarian, they're 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 things that foster our humanity with one another. Is that sometimes we don't have to do like I have to do five targeted workshops. I just need to begin doing them. I need to be aware of them, and uh, I think the collection of data allows us to have an awareness corporately. It mm-hmm. also allows us to be intentional, and we speak of the notion of generosity, uh, of giving to others you know, without necessarily receiving something return all the time, you know, I'm going to say good morning first. I'm going to make the first contact. Right. And I think that's pretty critical in these times because our tendency when there's a health issue or a scare or something happens, we pull back and saying, I will hold on to what I have versus, okay, this is an opportunity now to actually strengthen our community. This is, it has both the, uh, here's the glass half full, right? Yeah. There's always the challenge, but here is the opportunity at the same time to actually promote. And it, it's interesting. I've, um, we've had some ongoing, um, uh, I guess, contracts uh, that uh, in, in organizations now that have withdrawn. Uh, and uh, we've had, uh, we've also had some new calls come in for us to, uh, uh, to do profiles of uh, uh, folks that are working remotely together. Uh, but I've seen a renewed interest in well-being in the workplace. In other words, collective well-being, practices that promote positive workplace culture. I think these times uh, are a point of reflection. And, uh, and I, I guess as you had communicated early on that uh, the calls are coming in are different uh, at this point in time. One real quick thing, you asked what evidence does, uh, does working on that uh, uh, positive workplace side make a difference? We've, we've been following for five, we've been five years with uh, Francophone schools, uh, schools in Quebec and schools in uh, Ontario. And these are, again, you know, can be stressful workplaces within education. Uh, but what we've seen over with continuity of working on workplace well-being is that those schools that have engage the practices that promote well-being. What we've seen is we've seen a drop in uh, uh, absenteeism 
and uh, which is and a really interesting one is we've also seen schools reaching their academic benchmarks and that's kids not so much you know such not so much staff and if you're in the people profession whether it be an MB, you know a power company or whether it be you know any kind of consumer business how we do as a community impacts how we interact with others outside and i think to an extent the bottom line so i've grappled sometimes even when we talk about that you know that developing cultures first of all how do we measure it where do we put our focus and then do you actually see outcomes that would reflect bottom line and uh, we've had just a just a really good opportunity to uh, uh, within the Canadian context uh, to measure with uh, you know thousands of people uh, outcomes that would say doing this over time because it's not you, you don't change your culture tomorrow I mean it, no. it's uh, some of the research around, you know, um, mental health promotion talks about you have to have a full organization approach that extends beyond one year and probably up to three years in length uh, to, to, to see impact or change. So this isn't like a, a program which says, you know, the flavor of the month. This is saying, okay, here are the practices. We will promote these. We'll measure these. Uh, we will even invite these in conversations with our team. Uh, and, uh, and through that, we will measure again and we will see changes and we know that we will build trust. And, and the nice thing about it is if you, got, if you have organizations actually that uh, identify that many of these practices are not being used, there's only one way to stop, you know, it's, it's to move out. There aren't really bad results as much as there are opportunities uh, to, to enhance what you're already doing. And of course, if you have those practices well embedded, the question is, do you sustain those and continue to reinforce those during times like we're in. Mm. So going back, I'd love to, I love what you said. It's really reflective. I, I'd love to get some kind of meat on the bones to the listeners today. Give us three or four practices in simple speak that today sure. people could be could use or, or yeah. just wrangle off, wrangle off. So let me give you what I'm going to call kind of the basic relationship practices. We, have, we, we measure uh, eight domains, but I'll give you three. Uh, they're yeah. in the article as well on uh, that we did for, um, uh, uh, for the paper there. Um, the first one is relatedness, okay? Relatedness practices. And I'm going to talk about just three real quick ones. Welcoming. Good morning, everyone. You know, that acknowledgement. Um, conversations. You call people. You meet in the hall. At this point, with social distancing, not so much. But we connect with people. We have a conversation, exchanges. And the third practice is checking in. I call to see how you are doing, you know, as you would with, within a friendship, coming alongside. Competency practices, going to give you three there, just very basic ones. Do we recognize the strengths of others? And the best recognition is gratitude. Do we send off a note of appreciation? Uh, do we connect and say, look, really value your contribution? The second one there is, um, is inviting people to use their strengths. Uh, this is when we, um, we bring people together and call and say, look, we, we got to do some problem solving, engaging the strengths of our community. Again, it's extending that value. And the third one is, is building confidence to people. You know, these are different times. And to build confidence is that sense of self-efficacy. And really, it's, it means that we encourage people and we have their back. Now, gossip in a workplace destroys this. And this is where we, uh, we say, look, my value is I will not, I will always have the back of, of my team. And if I need to deal with something directly on, I'll do it individually and we'll work it out because I respect and care for this person. So that's, uh, you know, so building confidence means we don't destroy it. The third one, autonomy support practices means that we hear people. There's, we, there is voice. 
Um, we provide choice in how we move. You know, we become flexible. There are different ways of doing things. When that enters into the conversation, we can arrive at the same means by sharing how we might move forward together. And then I think with that is also collaboration. And this is when the team says, you know what? We need to hear from everybody. We need a plan going forward. Uh, we're, in a, we're at a point of crisis. We're in a point of concern. We know the change or transition is coming. So how do we come together on a Zoom call or whatever it may be to hear the voice of people to realize what are our shared values and strengths as we move forward together. And that's when autonomy support really reinforces a team which can plan uh, going forward. So those are just those are just three different areas. So I'm really interested when we go into an organization is to ask people, what do you see in my workplace? In my workplace, I see people reaching out and connecting, you know, saying hello, greeting others. I see others checking in with others. So these become tangible practices. Uh, that they can use. So those, those are just those are just a few. Um, there's another set of practices we call resiliency practices, which actually build on those. Uh, but these to me are foundational um, and they meet those psychological well-being needs of relatedness, competency and autonomy support, but in very practical, concrete ways. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just thinking. Um, you know, we we talk about in in this time, like what's happening, and I've heard this. I've seen some tweets, and I've I've actually experienced this myself in this uh, physical distancing, where you know you're kind of being careful how close you, when you're out walking. But it seems like what I've been noticing, what I'm hearing, uh, someone tweeted out of Toronto said, "Feels like I'm in Atlanta, Canada. Like I've never had so many people say hi to me." And this this, this level of relatedness happening. I think that's the would be the the subscale that you're describing, uh, Dr. Bill M. Um, and, and so, and, and maybe, maybe it's just, I, maybe I'm wired to maybe want to notice that more, but I've noticed I want to say hi to people more and, and do my own little check-in with them in ways that I, before, you know, kind of embarrassingly, I would be too busy to, to maybe, you know, say hi to the person I don't know at the, where we're going into the post office or whatever. Um, what do you, what are you guys, what are you guys experiencing, um, you know, in, in Ottawa and, and in Fredericton? Do you, is, are you seeing any of that happening? Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that, um, um, I'm still, I'm trying to get myself out to do some exercise and walk around the block twice. And I think it's still, you know, and, and there are people and we're, of course, the distance is, you know, 12, 14 feet away. Uh, but uh, as I've been walking down our street uh, right here in Fredericton, uh, I've noticed there's been some chalk artists, uh, children out front of the houses, and uh, three or four in a row uh, have written messages, have a good day, think good thoughts, um, let's say hello to one another. So it's really interesting that there is this, this propensity towards we, we need to connect and and people have a sense that we need to give to one another at the same time. Now, this, this is, um, to me, these are the positive workplace practices, you know, that are being seen in community. And typically, we're so busy uh, to um, not be home, you know, doing things. I speak of myself here on the go. And then suddenly, we're home. And we're noticing people around us, even, you know, through the windows of uh, you know, across the street and so on. But I do see a very positive. I mean, it makes me proud to be a Canadian. It makes me mm. proud to be in a Brunswicker. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think, and I, I'm, the I'm community, you know. Yeah, and I and I like I like that. And I think the part I'm seeing, I think it's all it's interesting where you're at. Um, what I'm I'm probably because I'm in the middle of a lot of different crisis situations. So I'm dealing. Had to deal with the very first suicide. If someone lost their job and on Wednesday and they killed himself on the way home from work. Uh, we're dealing with increase in domestic violence right now. Child abuse is becoming problematic. 
Um, so my world, I'm getting pulled into a lot of employers right now are really, really concerned about the vitality in the, of their workforce. And, and what, what's, what's troubling me is, is that I, and I've said this to three large employers called me yesterday, and I said to them, I said, okay, if there's ever a time that you guys would actually start focusing on your employees' mental fitness, now is it. Now, and, 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 it, they, and you're not too late because if this sucker continues – because what's, what's happening is people that have an income right now, you know, uh, the, the basic food and survival. Our guest yesterday we were talking to, last guest was talking about, you know, the infrastructure being put in around the country and with the United Way and federal government, provincial government, just to have food and shelter. So, there, so the basic needs of human beings, I'm seeing where I'm looking at it, there's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be all grateful for what we have in our lives. And, st- and at the same time, there's we also, I, I love what you said, Bill, about that helping. That's where I'm feeling right now. I have never been as busy as I am right now in the last two weeks. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's only, my brain says it's only going to get busier. Um, and, and my sense is, is that until we have more certainty of what the end looks like and the second pandemic wave and all the different things us, us academics are all looking at, is the future, the future... I believe will be wonderful. It's going to be helping people to hold hope and keep charging that battery in this really challenging time. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm totally, I mean, totally agree with you. There's an opportunity, but there is also uh, what people are experiencing right now. And given the, the isolation and the concerns uh, impact last, um, uh, last week, I had a call from, uh, from a group of residential care facilities uh, who we've been working with. And uh, we actually, um, you know, they really, we've done some baseline uh, uh, profiling of, of their environment and the practices. And we did individual coaching with uh, their managers of each of their units. And the opportunity to have an exchange with them and also to say, how are we going to promote that sense of connectedness among people? How are we going to continue to value people? How are we going to pull people in so they are participants? Uh, uh, you know, uh, e- during this time, even... We, we can't change everything that's going on around us, but we do have a level of influence on our teams and in our community that we, we can exert uh, in, in promoting uh, both the hope, the optimism, uh, so that it provides a buffer. I mean, that's resilience, provides a buffer as we, we go through some of these times. We are not alone. Uh, and I think for businesses, this is, this is a great opportunity. It's, it's community on the broader. There are those that uh, right now are, are separated. I know my wife and I, we've made three lists. We have, we have our, our, our family, we have our faith community, uh, and we have we have our, our our business associates and so on, and we've been doing uh, as part of being home. We've been doing kind of a, a check in, so basic relatedness, calling and checking with people, greeting them, um, saying, "Listen, we are still connected," and do it doing a method, you know, very in a very uh, uh, methodological way in the sense that we are committed to following through. And this is this is the intentionality I think that we need to do. And if you're a manager of a team and your team is now remote, or your team is working together, it is the same practices, a different means of how we're going to do it, though. I mean, here we are on Zoom today. I've become an, I shouldn't say an expert in Zoom, but I've had so many, so I've been Zooming so much in the last few weeks. I've been on, I've been online probably six to eight hours a day doing this kind of stuff yeah. uh, with individuals and teams. I was on last night with uh, 
with a group of 26 people uh, to do with uh, uh, their sense of community in their, in their workplace setting. I mean, it is, uh, um, and, and really it's providing hope. And I think this is where, you know, the practice is. And I'm encouraging organizations to, uh, even though you're remote, you can, you, can measure, you can measure right now status of how you're doing related to practices and it'll give you a place for moving forward. Awesome. Thank so you. We have, we could go so much deeper into this. I know the passion coming from both you guys around this topic is just like, and it's just a wonderful thing to listen to for people that <laughs> want to learn more. And, 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 you know, because of the, you know, like I, I, I just totally agree with everything I'm hearing. I love the evidence-based nature of it as well. It's just, it's, uh, it's really cool. And hopefully businesses are figuring this out, but as they want to learn more about you, Dr. Bill Morrison, um, where, how do they, how do they find out more about you and, and your, your mental, uh, fitness inventory and, um, and the research, your paper, but I think we should post this new yeah, paper we'll, too, we'll, David. We'll, we'll, yeah, post it. yeah, we'll send, uh, well, a couple of things. Um, we can send you a couple of, you know, just, um, output things. I, I would send you the, for people who like to read at least validation studies, research, we can send you the international journal of business. We just published, uh, in love to have it. the actual tool. So I'll send that out, uh, give you an idea. Um, I'll send a couple of updates. You can post on the website. Uh, you can read at um, wmawellness.com is the, uh, is, is the business. Um, uh, although I'm at UNB and we've uh, commercialized, you know, these as products. That, and the nice thing about it supports our research. So our research team, uh, as we, uh, as we, we, we uh, provide support, we, we also further our research and this pays our, pays our teams. Uh, but um, yeah, wmawellness.com, and uh, and I'll send you a few few outputs, and uh, maybe even an example report if people want to download that and have a look at. Uh, you know, awesome! Uh, at- awesome! Right. Thank you so so much. Pleasure. Thanks, thanks both. Uh, we got to wrap this because uh, we, like I said, we go a lot farther. But uh, Doctor Doctor Bill and Doctor Bill, thank you for informing me and and the listeners and um, people know how to reach. Um, Dr. Bill Morrison, and Greg's going to probably chime in and just wrap this up for us. Wrap it up. All right, guys. Uh, uh, Dr. Bill Squared, that was awesome. Uh, (laughs) Guys, And, uh, of course, we want to uh, recognize our incredible sponsors that have made this particular uh, sub-podcast of The Boiling Point possible, which is the University of New Brunswick, as well as Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. And if you uh, get value out of this particular episode, which I know you will, please do share this in your networks. This is really important information that uh, Dr. Bill and Dr. Bill and Dave have been discussing about. And do us a favor and subscribe to the Boiling Point Podcast on iTunes or wherever else it is that you get your podcasts. And if you really like us, rate it. It helps a lot. So uh, we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the special partnership edition of the Boiling Point Podcast the podcast that we're calling Shifting the Employee Experience, which has been presented in partnership with the University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning and with our second partner, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So let me tell you a little bit about our two epic sponsors. The University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning features the online high-impact corporate leadership program. Workplace health, safety, wellness, and leadership are competencies that significantly impact a workforce. Strength in these areas are crucial for the success in a corporate environment. Build capacity with your entire team with specialized courses through the UMB online experience. For more information, visit go.umb.ca slash ICIP hyphen podcast. Our second partner for the podcast is Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. It's a not-for-profit organization committed to protecting workers and businesses. 
WSPS serves the manufacturing, agricultural, and service sectors in Ontario, supporting over 160,000 member firms and 4.1 million workers. WSPS offers unparalleled health and safety expertise, consulting, training, and resources. Their mandate includes helping businesses understand their risks and legal obligations to stay in compliance and build a better and safer workplace. You can find out more on their website at www.wsps.ca or by following them on Twitter at at WSPS underscore news or by connecting on their LinkedIn company page by searching for Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So thanks to those two sponsors for making this podcast a reality. We're really excited to connect with you next week. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.